0: horror heads, welcome back to another episode of horror 365 i am your host the mouthpiece of the northeast jimmy J, alongside the south jersey slasher himself south jersey jason and today we got a special guest in studio well not here with us in studio but via zoom here she is tracy savage
1: tracy thank you so much for taking the time out for these two gentlemen today how are you i am doing fantastic thank you so much for Letting me join you guys. I've been looking forward to this. It's great to to talk to you and to meet you both. You know, it's funny because I
0: appreciate that. And, you know, I listen to you, Stacey. And and have you ever thought about doing something like like an audio book or something? You have a great voice for just talking. (laughs) It's so um, soothing.
1: It's funny you should say that because when I finished working as a child actress, in fact, Friday the 13th was the last thing really officially that I did uh, in the entertainment industry. I went on and got a degree in journalism and went on to be a broadcast journalism. And I worked in television for many, many years. And I worked in radio for about 10 years um, anchoring news. And uh, I worked in news for a long, long time. So yeah, I I made a living talking, (laughs) using my voice for a long time. And, you know, we're going to get into some of that a little bit later on. But before we get into that,
0: I want to ask ask everyone, what was your introduction into the horror genre?
1: Well, <laughs> it was being in a movie. That was it. That, I, that was, I, I
0: was, you had no previous, you didn't like horror at all. You just, hey, this is it. Well,
1: I, you know, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was, um, I was a child actress and I was busy. I was, and I was doing the kind, I had this sort of girl next door look midwest freckles and you know sandy blonde hair and i played the kind of mcdonald's counter girl kind of character and i was on little house on the prairie which is a really wholesome show many kids today have never heard of but i did i was on that show for a couple of years and you know i did happy days and um i was working in in the biz but but not doing horror and um I was already in college and I went on the interview for Friday the 13th part three at that time, they were keeping it under wraps so they didn't even it wasn't. called Friday the 13th I didn't even know it was called crystal Japan, that was what was on the script, and so I went on the interview and got it really not knowing what it was uh, I just knew it was shooting in Los Angeles and it would probably pay for a year of college for me and so that that I'm, I'm good with that <laughs> and um uh and then when I found out you know what it really was I was pretty pretty excited and it's pretty cool and I of course had heard of Friday the 13th and Halloween and uh, you know I'd heard of those films and but I hadn't really been a huge fan, um, just because I was busy. I was working. I was a I was a, a working mm. child actress, and um, it kept me very busy.
2: So um, you're originally Sorry. from Ann Arbor, Michigan, but when well, you're-
1: n- not quite. So that that is Wikipedia. I'm a college professor, and I tell my students. Never do your research on Wikipedia. Uh, my own son, I did a podcast with him the other day, and he he said the same thing you did, and I said no, I'm not really. Not really. <laughs> so
2: where is where are you originally from? Then I so- will uh,
1: exactly. Um, you're close. Okay. So I I was born in Chicago, and uh, then we moved to Michigan when I was two, and I lived in a suburb of Detroit um, called Livonia, and then when I was seven. I moved to Los Angeles and I grew up in Los Angeles. I went to UCLA for two years, and then I transferred to the University of Michigan, which is in Ann Arbor. And that's when Mm -hmm. I spent a couple of years in Ann Arbor. But I'm not really originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I would say I'm originally from Michigan, uh, born in Chicago, but Michigan, and then grew up in Los Angeles.
2: So growing up in Los Angeles, uh, you were a child actress what how was it growing up in that time versus like now obviously it's so different so do you have any like fond memories of hanging out with any other child actresses at the time you know great
1: question it it is so different compared to today um and how i know that is that my uh, son who's 17 uh, was a child actor for a year, he, he retired at six years old. <laughs> and he worked, he worked for a year in the business. And I was, and I was taking I was his stage mom, and I was taking him on interviews. And I was stunned by how different the industry had, how much it had changed. Um, when I was growing up, and going on interviews for roles, there might be eight to 10 to 12 other young girls that my age competing for the same roles. It was Jodie Foster. It was Helen Hunt. It was Christy McNichol. It was a lot of the young girls that you've seen that were on TV series. And it was always the same eight or 10 of us. And, um, we all were friends. We all grew up together. We, you know, would hang out together. And, um, and if Jodie Foster, happened to be working, then I might have had a chance of getting a job because she was probably the best actress of all of us. Um, But when I took my son on interviews, fast forward all these years later, there'd be like 70 kids in the, in the room and um, for the original call. And then a callback, there might be 40 kids. It was, I couldn't even believe how much it's changed and how it was competitive then but now it's ridiculous. It really is. Um, but I had fun. It was, um, an interesting way to grow up. Um, you know, we traveled for, we went on locations and, um, I basically hung out with adults my whole childhood, you know, going on interviews. It was when you're six and seven and 10, you're walking into a room full of strangers and, and having to meet adults and, and sort of carry yourself in a way to that you weren't intimidated and run and hide behind your mom's, you know, legs. Um, And, uh, and then on the set, you know, you had to be, um, you had to know your lines, you had to be professional, you had to be prepared. Um, So it was work. I mean, it was a real, it was work. But most of the shows I did when I was younger, were family shows. And Mm -hmm. like, Little House on the Prairie, and that was I, I filled with kids. We were on set um, outside of Los Angeles, where there were horses and dogs and chickens and goats, and um, we played football on the ranch. And um, the, all the kids were like, you know, my schoolmates, and um, that was really fun. I, I'm still in touch with many of them from from that show specifically. Uh, Cause I was on that series for two years and, um, and that was a blast. That was a great thing. I think it would have been harder if I was on a show where it was just me as the only kid right. around all adults yeah. all the time. Yeah, Do you have any memory
0: happened. that sticks out uh, from that show? From, from Little House? Behind well,
1: you yeah. um, you know, I, well, I just remember um, Michael Landon pl- being, first of all, I had, I had, I had screen tested for the part of Laura which was the lead role. And um, I didn't get it. And I'm I'm not bitter. <laughs> uh, I was
2: waiting for that smile. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but I didn't get it. Um, but they wrote me in as a neighbor and um, hired me to play the friend for Laura Ingalls. Uh, which was great, and I was thrilled to have that job, that role. And Michael Landon, who was the male lead, the father, Paw, uh, was just such a really wonderful man, a, a person. He was great with all the kids, and I just can remember uh, him doing kind of um, prankster kind of things. Maybe it's your close-up, and the camera's on you, and he's standing behind the camera, and he would sit there with his mouth closed. And then he'd open his mouth and a frog would leap out because he would had it stuck in his mouth (laughs) and, you know, to try to get you to, uh, to laugh while you're trying Mm -hmm. to get through your serious scene. Mm -hmm. um, He just was a really wonderful man to work with. And so it made that whole experience fun. It was great.
2: Yeah, I uh I I grew up on the reruns of Little House on a prairie. Yeah. I read the books. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. I uh, you know, Michael Landon, I I loved watching him because I always said, Man, I wish I grew up in that time era. I would love to have a dad like him. And then when he, you know, I watched the reruns of Highway to Heaven. Yeah. Um and we lost him way too soon. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I had read all the books too. And I mean, I, I I really thought I was Laura Ingalls Wilder. I, that was me. I, I was that little girl. And um, um, so I was thrilled to be able to be a part of the show. It uh, was just wonderful. So great. It's sad because, I, like I said, I'm a college professor now. My students are 18, 19, 20, and, and many of them many of them have no idea what the show is. I've never heard of it. Wow. Like, oh God, it's too bad because it's such a great, such a great show.
2: Are there any other roles where you were up against like Jodie Foster or, um, that you lost out on? Like, did you audition for Taxi Driver?
1: No, I did not. <laughs> I did not. Yeah, wow. Um, you know, I, I I must have gone on uh, hundreds of interviews because I did my first commercial at two years old. Oh, wow. And I worked uh, back this we were back in in Detroit, Michigan. And I was working doing industrial films and commercials back there. And then we moved to LA when I was six and a half. And I started going on interviews in Los Angeles, like literally the first week we moved to town and uh, worked right up until I was um, I moved away to college. And so as a teenager. um, And uh, so I went on hundreds of interviews and um there were probably many roles that i lost out to to jody for sure although by the time we were like twelve, after she did taxi driver i don't even know if she went on the interviews for the roles that i went on because by now she's a star and Mm -hmm. you know i'm 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 doing you know counter girl or a you know tied laundry detergent commercial i don't think jody was doing that at 12 (laughs) 13 years old
0: now, could you picture yourself in Silence of the Lambs? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, well, yeah, I, cur- that's a remarkable career. Um, I did not um, pursue acting. Yeah, after yeah. I was already in college, I was at UCLA. When I got Friday the 13th. And um, I was pretty much done acting. My My mom was a child's talent agent. She became an agent when I was 16. And um, a few years later, I'm at UCLA and I was, I was out of the business. I was pursuing a career or or a degree in communications. And I knew I wanted to be a broadcast journalist and I um, had said, you know, I'm done. And um, this film came along and my mom had submitted me for it. Oh, just go on it, you you know, you never know it might be it's shooting locally so you don't you could probably still go to school and. Um, and so when I g- got the movie, I had to take a quarter off of school I had to leave um, in the spring quarter to make the movie and um, but again I was I was supposedly retired, and <laughs> so I made that film and um, and then from there did one more semester at UCLA before moving to Michigan and then finishing up two years at U of M and graduating there. So I didn't ever think that I was going to be an adult actress. I wasn't that I was I was responsible and reliable and a good, you know, behaved and, and learned my lines, but I wasn't this brilliant actress, I was too. um, I'm not gonna say shy, but um too reserved at that time as a kid. And to be a really good actor, even as an adult, you have to be able to just like let it all out. <laughs> and I didn't have, I didn't really have the, I didn't, it just wasn't me. So I didn't, I didn't I know I can't see myself having played that role because I really didn't want to be an adult actor. Now I've done some some roles since then. Um, for for a few years I played news reporters on TV shows. And a couple of different times here in Los Angeles, I got hired to play a news reporter. That was so fun because it's what I was doing anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I did a couple of horror films in the last 10 years, eight years. And that was a blast because by now I'm not doing, I don't need the, you know, I, I'm not earning my money as an actor. This horror film? That horror <laughs> film. Oh, right there, 13 fan <laughs> and and it was really fun to work on a movie when it's not your uh lifeblood it's not your you know i am not worried that god if i don't do well i might not get another acting job and i might not be able to pay my rent right I, i i i'm a college professor i'm busy and and so for me it was just a great escape it was super fun um i i still don't think i'm a phenomenal actress. I don't care. You know, it's not my thing. I don't study. Um, But to be able to do it, it was a blast. I have had so much fun. I did a movie um, called The Bone Garden. um, About six years ago, I did that um, back in um, Pennsylvania, and Baltimore. Um, And, and that was just, it was awesome, had so much fun, three weeks on location. You know, I, I told people it was three weeks of not having to cook dinner. Pick up dog poop, <laughs> do laundry. It was an escape for three weeks. Yeah. And, and then when um, um, you know, Thirteen Fanboy came along. Um, I thought, oh, why not? This sounds awesome. This sounds so fun. Um, and you know, it's cool because my my students now, when I do these kinds of films, these films, yeah. they hear about them, and so many of my students are horror fans, and yeah. um. They love when they find out that I had been in Friday the 13th. I include a uh, a little clip, uh, an introduction, like a bio video that I show my students for every class at the start of every class. And there's a shot of me with the, the knife coming out of my neck and, <laughs> and uh, a couple of shots of me with Jason and um, they just, they love that. And then when they hear that I've just recently made another film or two, um, it's great. They think it's awesome. And I do teach video production. So I can kind of bring that experience back to my students. I can talk about low budget filmmaking wow, and what wow. it takes to get a low budget film put together and produced and distributed. And uh, I have that like hands-on onset great. experience. Yeah. yeah. Which is really helpful and really fun for my students.
0: And, you know, I want to talk real, real quick about part three, about Friday 13th. Um, so your mother got you that audition. Uh, yes for the, and um obviously you said you didn't even know it was Friday the 13th. Uh how do you
1: remember that day or like auditioning for that? Do you remember you know I kind of I kind of do not um I, I I do, I kind of remember it. And I remember, you know, I can kind of see the office that I went to and um I remember the Crystal Japan. It was written on the outside of the script, and I had I had the the scene that I had to read and and um you know interview with and um and I I, I do kind of remember that and and I definitely remember being told I got the part and that I was going to go you know work on work on it and uh, I was I was excited it was it was pretty cool I was thrilled I had no idea I had no idea <laughs> like, that I don't know how many years later it was 1982 for goodness yeah, sakes, 40, 40 years later yeah. um I had August no 13th idea of this year yeah, I had no idea that it would go on to be a cult classic. That that there would be kids who are teenagers today who will come up to me and quote lines because they know the I had no idea that it would it would be one of, have such staying power. Air. And that is really great. I love it. I think that's so awesome.
2: So, you're part of a, a film that is known for two things one it was in 3d and yes. usually the films at that time if they get to the part three they had it at the 3d because it was like the fad at the time like the 50s resurgence of doing 3d films two jason dons the iconic hockey mask um and the film in the 3d presented some problems of its own do you have any stories of the like like uh like shooting, like we were doing a scene and there was a issue with the 3D. Like, I don't think you were really involved in any of the 3D scenes, correct?
1: I like was the- actually, I, I absolutely was. You know, first of all, I tell people that I was in the highest grossing 3D movie ever made at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so back in 1982, you know, you were right. The only 3D films, most of them were from the fifties and sixties and they were, you know, starting to do a few gimmicky ones in the eighties. And Friday the 13th was the highest grossing of them all in 1982. But um, I think uh
2: Avatar, you had a I would say Avatar beat you, so you had a nice little so. lifespan.
1: <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, I probably did. Um, but so there were a couple of scenes that I did in 3D, like for example, the um, you know, the yo-yo scene, uh, yep, yep, where yep, it's yep. coming down at my face, and um, and I had to, I was in that one. And even with the the knife. Um, they wanted the blade to appear that it was coming out of the front of my throat. Okay, You know, that, that it was in the, they grabbed my hand mm-hmm. and put the knife back and it popped out the front. Um, and the, the things I remember about working about that, about working in a movie that was done in 3d was that every shot that was going to be shot the technology then was really old fashioned, really. They used two side by side cameras, and shot two images. So it's like having a right eye and a left Mm -hmm. eye. And when you put them together, it created this 3d effect. And but in order for it to work, the lighting had to be just perfect. And so they would spend to set up a shot. Normally, you set it up, throw up some lights and you go, but it would take hours of setup to get it lit right. So, that the 3D effect would work. And so, there was a lot of downtime on the set while you're waiting for these, uh, you know, for the lighting to be set to make it work right. Um, So, that was one thing that I I remember. I also remember that the 3D camera was really, you know, at the time super expensive and heavy technology, big clunky cameras. And at one point, they had the camera on the big long dolly and they were doing a moving shot. And the whole dolly collapsed <laughs> and the, the whole oh, thing, nice. it, was open. Mm-hmm. it was a wood track that was long, a wooden track. And it was, you know, the camera was gonna be rolled and the whole thing tipped over. And um, that was that was kind of a big deal. I don't think the camera actually broke because we were able to continue shooting, but um, that was a pretty big deal. And then the, I guess the other significant thing from making that movie was my, my death scene. Um, it took a long time to prep for that scene because um, they only really could do a take or two uh, because there was so much setup and it had to be done, it had to be, everything had to be perfect and we had really had to get it done in in one take. Mm -hmm. Um, What they did was they um, made a rubber um, replica of my upper torso from about here through my shoulders up down to about here on each arm, and then down to my navel, like mid-waist. And it was this foam rubber duplicate of my torso. And they cut a hole in the uh, hammock. And I sat down through the hole in the hammock with my lower body under the hammock. Under the hammock, wow. And from about here up, was on top of the hammock. And then they glued this fake neck out from here, and the reason why they did that is that there was then a play, some room between where my real neck is and where the fake neck is, and they could sneak the knife up through it from right there. Does that make sense? Am yeah, I, no, no, know, it does. It does.
2: It just, yeah, exactly yeah. what they did with Kevin Bacon. Kevin, and you, yeah. Okay, yeah,
1: yeah, okay, good, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's the makeup to get it, you know, they attached it to my neck right here and they had to hide the seam and get it so that it was attached to my shoulders, um, you know, and I'm underneath the thing. And then this was on, this fake body was on top of the thing and they had to have blood squirt out as the knife was going through. And, and, (laughs) and, um, and so they had to make sure that worked and then they had to make sure the lighting was right. And, and so it was, um, hours in the makeup chair, getting ready for it. And then a long time on set, um, for them to you know actually say you know rolling in action and uh for really what what turns out to be a pretty quick scene you know quick mm-hmm. five four second shot of jason grabbing me by the head and yeah. poking the knife through my neck
2: so were you at least comfortable sitting in like that position or was it like after i a think while? so i was just a kid yeah.
1: i'm sure i <laughs> <it> was fine <laughs> I, yeah no so
2: uh,
0: yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, I know, <laughs> listen, because I'm just thinking of things. Come on. You know, I, I know. know,
2: but I want to, I was one oh, of the questions I've been wanting go to ahead. ask. It's like, uh, Tracy, it's like, um, you like, must be a mind reader because you're going into like the questions that we're going to ask. Um, but you didn't for this one. Um, Richard Brooker, he is one of the probably top three iconic Jason actors to play Jason. Um, He's in my top three. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. What, what uh, was it like working with him? Because he, you know, I didn't know until I watched Sean Richards documentary of what he did post Friday part three. Um, He was a brute on the camera, but how was he behind the scenes?
1: Well, it's funny because um, we were all, most of the, you know, the campers, we're all between the ages of 18 and 21 years old, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. We're all kind of close in age. And and again, we were just dumb kids, right? Having fun. And he was, he'd been in the business a lot, he was older. He was probably maybe 30 by then or late twenties and kind of quiet and serious and um, I think he kind of tried to stay in his character. So you didn't see him goofing around on set. You didn't see him acting crazy. Uh, he was pretty much just a, a solid, quiet guy who um, you know, was there when they needed him. And so as a result of that, uh, we didn't get to, um, we really didn't get to interact all that much plus, I really technically never had a scene with him. Mm-hmm. Yes, I got a knife through the neck because of him, but it was all done by the special effects team and he was nowhere to be found when they shot that scene. Uh, and the scene later where I'm in the closet and the Dana Kimmel character jumps in there and I, I'm sitting there with a the knife through my neck and I fold. You know, he was he wasn't around. So we were on the set there were times that we'd be on the set together, um, but we weren't engaging in scenes together. And so I didn't get a lot of interaction with him, but I just, my memories of him uh, were that he was a professional and a nice person, and, but quiet and, um, you know, kind of reserved, kept to himself, and, um, and the rest of us were just a bunch of dumb kids having fun. <laughs> Now
0: Tracy, do you have any any stories from filming that stick out to you to share with the fans?
1: Gosh, particular stories of that. You know, um, obviously my 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 death scene was was pretty fun. That was pretty cool. It took a long time to shoot, but that was pretty awesome. And um, I think just mostly just being on the set with a whole group of really fun young people, made the whole experience really positive um you know i was in college i was getting ready i was going to be moving away and i knew this was my last hurrah as an actress and so i just made the most of it and had a lot of fun um i can't think really think of any other very specific thing that sticks out other than it was a positive experience so when it was released did you check it out in the theaters or It's funny, I was back in, in, I was in Ann Arbor, (laughs) Brian. (laughs) I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and um, I went and saw it in a theater. And but it was summer, actually, it was it was summer. So I hadn't quite moved to Ann Arbor, I was staying up um, at a resort town, a small little um, town on the lake in Michigan. And uh, I went to a very small theater to see it with some families and friends and Um, Nobody knew that I was the actress, one of the actresses in the film, Um, but it was a packed theater and that was pretty cool. That was pretty fun, but I'd already moved away. You know, the film wrapped in probably April or May. They did super speedy post-production, got it into the theaters and, and um, I think it, it, it uh, premiered on the thirteenth of August, I believe, probably nineteen eighty-two. Yeah. yeah. Got it. So, so yeah, that was summer, and I was I was getting ready to go back into college in Michigan in a month or so, and um, but they did a quick turnaround on that movie. The thing about Friday the Thirteenth was that the real main star of the movie was the three D effect. Uh, it wasn't the actors, and of course Jason too. I have to give him credit for that, but. But um, a lot of the scenes were, um, you know, we would shoot a scene, and it wasn't really that important if the actors did a great job, it was how did the 3d effect look. And um, so, because of that, I kind of didn't, you know, we didn't take it that serious, we didn't take it very seriously. I mean, we did, and we're professionals, but it took the pressure off because okay. really the um, the main thing that the director was concerned about was that we get these 3D shots and that they look amazing. And that was really, in my opinion, the Adam and Jason were the two main stars of the film.
2: Okay. All right. So, um, sorry, Jimmy, I jumped on you. <laughs>
0: No, no, it's okay. Brian, the floor is yours, my man. (laughs)
2: Well, I was just going to go back and, you know, I saw that that was your question. But yeah, this year is the 40th anniversary this August. And, you know, you talked about earlier that... how can that be
1: when i'm only 35 years old i don't understand Yeah, you don't age i I don't know i honestly just
0: you stay at a certain number all the alumni still look great they you know well
1: god bless Um, you um (laughs) lighting is everything but um
0: so
2: your son who is 17 you said yes Uh, now when did he find out you were in a horror movie are you
1: serious no i'm kidding oh <laughs> <laughs> you got him, you got him. <laughs> oh well now he knows Now, anyway just kidding yeah um yeah. so yeah you know it's funny um because i've been out of the business for so many years and but i was a known broadcaster so in los angeles i was on the air for 30 years and people know me in Los Angeles as a news anchor. They know mm-hmm. me as an NBC news reporter and a weekend news anchor. And they knew me from anchoring a, a radio news that was what everybody listened to in their cars. And um, so any form of like celebrity mm-hmm. was because of being a broadcast journalist. Um, so my, my son, um, and and because it was so far, you know, it was, Two careers ago, if you think about it, I'm a pro- pro- professor now of journalism, and then yeah. I was a broadcast journalist, and then I spent 20 years as an actress. So I've had these three separate careers, and um, but so the acting part was a long, long time ago, and um, you know, I don't, I didn't make a big deal about it with my son, and I, kn- I knew he, you know, I know he knows, and and like, yeah, mom, okay, uh, um but I did one time I think hear him talking to his friends on discord playing video games and (laughs) and um you know the problem is his mom his mom was topless in a shower scene
0: you know no kid
1: no 13 or 12 year old boys wants to tell his friends yeah Mm -hmm. guys check out my mom topless so um I you know I didn't make a big big point of Forcing true. him to. Yeah. That's to true. I didn't think about that.
2: Yeah. Um, so now we're going to go past part three. You're going back to school in Michigan to get your BA in communications. And now, hopefully, I got all my information correct. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in 1985, you started in Flint, Michigan. Correct. I was,
1: yeah. So how it worked is um, I actually um, graduated from uh, University of Michigan in um, 1984. And um, and it was in December of 1984, because I had taken a semester off. And so I had to push back the graduation date. And then um, while I was in Detroit, in Ann Arbor, I interned at a CBS TV station in Detroit. And that CBS station also was owned by a company that owned a station in um, Toledo, Ohio. And that was my first job right out of college was right down the road from Detroit. Toledo, Ohio is right on the border with Michigan. And so six weeks out of college, I got my first TV job at a pretty decent market uh, size and worked in Toledo, Ohio for um, about nine months. I got in to get out. Basically, <laughs> you start in small markets and you, you the first thing you're doing as you're working in these little markets is is figuring out how to move on to the next job um so you're constantly working on building your your resume so i i was there about nine or ten months and then i got a job at a bigger news market and that's flint michigan um it was the tri-city area saginaw uh flint and bay city and um there was a tv station there and i stayed there for about eight months it was a oh, whole horrible TV station, just like the worst small town crappy. We, the newsroom was in a basement and it just was, everything about it was awful. But you know, you're paying your dues. Uh, I stayed there for about eight months. And then I got a job in Dayton, Ohio. And I worked in Dayton, Ohio for four years. And it was the um, it was a phenomenal TV station. It was the highest rated TV station in the country. Um, the, the numbers for the newscasts were just off the chart. It, it was an institution in the market. Um, the news, the main anchor guy was sort of like the um Dan Rather or uh, you know, he was classic uh news anchor. Um, and we had a huge ratings. And I stayed there for four years. And um, it was just a wonderful place to work because they had all the whistles and bells. They had a helicopter, they had satellite trucks, they had microwave vans, Um, they had money to spend. So I got to travel and cover stories beyond the Dayton area to go out of town. I covered a presidential convention in New Orleans and um, a couple other things like that. But it was just really awesome. And then from there, so six weeks, or six years rather of reporting in the Midwest, I um, got hired to move back to Los Angeles which is where my family is living and um and came back to LA and then worked in Los Angeles for the next 25 years
2: yeah and so during that time uh early in the LA career you got to cover some pretty high prolific stories um Good. you had the Oklahoma City bombing I did yeah that was a tough um, one That was. Tough I remember one. watching that you know I'm in school um we had um I forget what it was called but it was like a news channel for like middle school and high schools throughout the country and that's where anderson cooper got his start. yeah channel one i think channel was- one yes. yeah, i yeah. remember watching that um yeah. and then you covered the uh 96 olympics in atlanta now were you there to cover the olympics itself or the bombing
1: yeah so i was there for the olympics i was there for for maybe two weeks so the lead up to the games and and the games were you in and- the games <laughs> yeah. I know. yeah i'm a javelin thrower you should see me <laughs> we had a report coming your way no dude. yeah exactly <laughs> um no it, it's i was actually in nbc's um production booth where our um where, where, where we would anchor the, the 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 um updates on the olympics mm-hmm. from from the centennial park in atlanta and um it had a, a like a glass front that overlooked Centennial Park, and the stage it was under the stage. All of the booths were under the stage, the stage was above us, and all the crowd we could look through the window and see. And so, that tower, that structure, um, it was like a security tower that the bomb was set underneath, was probably about maybe a hundred yards away. Um, so I 150 yards away, not very far. And I could, I could see it. And when it went off, I was right there. And, um, and then we, you know, we jumped into breaking news mode, and chasing down, um, you know, witnesses and victims. And um, I um, staked outside of Richard Jewell's house. Uh, He was the Poor guy that was wrongly accused Mm -hmm. of being the bomber and it literally destroyed his life. Yeah. And um they made a movie out of it. I was just gonna
2: ask you, did you watch the movie? I did. I did how accurate was it?
1: Very, really, really accurate and really made me mad and sad. Mm -hmm. And I I actually was one of those, I want to say obnoxious reporters that were, you know, I we got sent to stand outside his apartment and try to get clips of him shots of him and do a quick interview as he's coming and going. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, it was the FBI that really pointed the finger at him early on. And um, and so I mean, I, I, I don't think I harassed him, but right. I remember being there at least once. Uh, as far as but-
2: the bombing, obviously you felt it when you were there on in the movie richard joel did they get that pretty much did you get any like flashbacks
1: when you watched that scene not not really because but it really was i mean it was interesting to watch it again i mean, wow yeah that's right i was there and that, mm-hmm. that absolutely um i was not um like i did i i they kept everybody away so I think um, two people died of heart attacks. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like a bloody scene. Um, And so um, and I was just out then chasing people down trying to get interviews and shoot video. And um, so it it didn't really have a a, a hardcore impact on me. The the Oklahoma City bombing, though, you mentioned that one. Um, I got sent to Oklahoma City from Los Angeles. And um, I got there maybe a day or two after the explosion at the Murray Federal Building that killed about 183 people including 70 60 to 70 children in a daycare okay. center and I was there for a week or two and I covered a dozen funerals with little caskets the size yeah. of you know and it was so and the town Oklahoma City is a small enough town. And when 180 people die, everybody knew somebody Mm -hmm. who was a victim. Everybody had a family member, a distant relative, a neighbor, a friend, a colleague, whatever. And so every person I interviewed for a, a week or 10 days would break down and cry on camera. And it was day after day of that. And, um, you know, we're supposed to remain Mm -hmm. unemotional and, and um, um, unbiased and not show not but but heck, how how can you go through that as a human? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being on the plane when I finally uh, was heading home, and I had a copy of, I think it was Newsweek magazine, and they had profiled all of the kids and people that had died like all the victims were there and i'm flipping through it going yeah I went to that funeral Oh, I covered that oh. funeral Oh yeah that was three siblings that had died. I covered that funeral and um, it was that was for sure, probably and i've covered all i've covered the riots and earthquakes yeah. and floods and fire I mean i've covered so much, but that one is, if I were to say what. Um, news story that i've covered that affected me the most mm-hmm. it would be that i had major ptsd for for a long time and i cried on the plane on the way home and i because i'd just been storing it up all you know for two weeks and that was a tough one that was a tough yeah. one to cover
2: um and then two other trials that um were pretty hot during that time period also hottie Fleiss trial yeah, Fleiss, yeah. The hollywood madam yes um, And a real horror, I mean, all this, all these stories, Oklahoma, Atlanta, they're horror stories in their own right. But the O.J. Simpson trial. For sure. You had
0: covered. During the trial, Trace, you were called to witness stand to reveal your confidential sources. And uh, you were threatened, I believe, with jail time, correct, by by a judge. Uh, But you invoked your rights as a journalist and used the shield law. Right. Uh, to protect the source of your story now can you tell the listeners out there what is the shield law sure about? this is
1: what i teach my journalism students every semester <laughs> so you you um, got it there yeah no it's great and i get to use a clip from that um uh i can send you a link because i have a i have it on youtube absolutely yeah, um, definitely. and so um the 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 story is that um I was, I was uh, breaking news, I was breaking stories, exclusive stories about the evidence. And um, OJ's attorneys, the Dream Team, had a theory that they were going with that he was being framed by the police. And it was there, that was the, the defense that they were using, that he was innocent and he was being, um, framed by the cops. And because I was breaking stories, um, they wanted me to reveal my sources. And they, they actually really didn't care if I revealed them or not. They just wanted to imply that my sources were cops, dirty cops, trying to leak information about OJ Simpson. And, um, so they wanted to put me on the witness stand and say that my sources were cops. And, um, and and I'm not going to say one way or another, who they were, or, or which department they worked in. Um, let's just say that it would have blown their theory if they'd actually got me to tell them who really were my sources. But, um, but they they subpoenaed me, it was all a dog and pony show it was just to bolster this theory that he was framed and so um i got subpoenaed and um you know when you're on the witness stand if you're you refuse to testify uh and you have knowledge of something uh the judge could hold you in contempt of court and judge lancito um had jokingly or not jokingly. Uh, said to a production assistant that I worked with, well, tell Tracy to bring her toothbrush to court, meaning that wow. if I didn't testify, he's going to send me straight to jail. Yeah. And uh, journalists occasionally get jailed for refusing to testify. But there is a shield law that um, not all 50 states have, but most probably 48 out of 50 states um, have a shield law on the books. And it allows reporters the right to protect their, it allows reporters the right to do their jobs and to protect their confidential sources. Without confidential sources, we wouldn't get a lot of information that we get. You know, people are afraid for their jobs, for their careers, for their lives, um, but they want the corruption or the crimes uncovered. And so they will tell information to reporters. Um, you know, off the record or on background. And um, as reporters, we make a promise to our confidential sources that we are not going to reveal their identities. And, um, and so when I was on the witness stand and I was asked to reveal my sources, I invoked the shield law. And um, I was on the witness stand for maybe four or five minutes 7 minutes max it felt like 3 days oh my god <laughs> Oh yeah. my gosh yeah. the entire world I can only imagine yeah the entire world was watching the o j simpson trial yeah. 150 news markets around the world had <sighs> reporters there from different countries all over the world and um and that trial you know people scheduled their their jobs around the broadcast of that trial. Students in college would not go to classes on days that the trial was, um, you know, in the courtroom. And um, so there were, it was, it was, it was nerve wracking. And I didn't know, you know, how dirty Simpsons uh, attorneys were going to get, and if they were going to try to, you know, what kind of question, it was, it was, it was very, very nerve wracking for sure. Um, Probably one of the most, interesting experiences I've, I've ever had. I ever had as a news reporter. Wow. And you know, I'm
0: thinking about it now you covered a lot, uh, just over here listening to what uh, Brian was talking about. Was there any specific, you know, uh, case or incident or story that you covered that you enjoyed covering or that you, uh, I, that stands out to you? I know I've been asking. Yeah. So,
1: it. so, you know, unfortunately it's, the tragedies that make the news most of the time and um so riots and floods and fires and and you know death and destruction and there's not a lot of joy in that and i'll tell you when i finally when i when i went turned to switch to radio and i wasn't out in the field anymore i was anchoring a newscast on the radio for five hours every day and not having to go and knock on the doors of parents of dead kids and ask them how do you feel you know that was i hated that and um so there wasn't a lot of joy in doing that kind of work it was just a job and and um you know it it was exciting if it was a major story like oj simpson heidi fleiss was fun because it was um you know the victims were real i mean it was, you know, sex and, and prostitution and, um, and Heidi was a real character and, and it was celebrities. And um, so that made that one uh, interesting. Um, When I would probably when you think about what are some of the things that like, that I had a blast doing had super fun doing when I was in Dayton, Ohio for four years. um, There is an international air show at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Uh, and then it was transferred over to the Dayton International Airport. And it was every year, and it was a big, maybe week-long event with aerodynamic planes and jets and hot air balloons. And um, and I was a bit of a daredevil, and um, I ended up- Skydiving, doing... don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. But um, I um, I was one of the first report female reporters, because remember, this is going back to the 80s. And women were, you know, doing ribbon cuttings and farm openings. And so I was one I was I was one of the first female reporters out there covering the air show. And I got to fly um, in an F-4 jet. I flew and did through, pulled nine G's, which breaks the sound barrier. Wow. Um, I flew in an F-16. I flew with the Air Force uh, Thunderbirds and the uh, Blue Angels. I I got to fly with them. I actually got to, I was behind, I had the controls on the Um, F-4.
0: And
1: so that was just awesome. And of course, that's a treat that not everybody gets to do, right? That is like one of those things that very few get the opportunity to do. And I didn't do it once. I did it like five times tracy
0: savage top gun that's your yes, name yes. I've got
1: some, you guys got to go to my website and there's some pictures of me um inside one you know a couple of the jets with the with the blue i think the blue angels or the thunderbirds or so i flew in those jets and the my probably the biggest accomplishment was that i didn't vomit <laughs> because <laughs> because you're pulling nine g's and that's brutal i remember mm-hmm. uh the first time i did it when we were done, we pearled on the ground, we landed on the ground. Um, my skin had turned so white from just all the blood draining out of my face (laughs) that that whatever freckles I had just were like fluorescent because my skin was, I was so white, like green (sighs) almost from it. Um, but then I got to fly in, um, little aerodynamic, um, acrobatic planes, uh pit specials and um like the the Charlie Brown. Oh, that's a my camera froze. That's a nice look. My uh <laughs> my uh like the Charlie Brown uh Red Baron kind of planes, you know, biplanes. Nice. Yeah and we did things like um and they're open cockpit and you're doing loops and rolls and um we did something called a hammerhead stall where the plane would go straight up. You know, really so you're excited. laying on your back, yeah. and then cut the engine. So oh, you're, wow. uh, it gets quiet. You're like, "Oh crap, where are we going? <laughs> What's going then, on there?" And then the plane would lean and fall. And as the gravity's pulling it down, you'd pick up the the engine would start up again. Um, so, maybe
2: so. Let's get back to those loops. So you're in an open open cockpit. That <laughs> yeah. had to be scary. I it was scary. Like... It was yeah. scary,
1: but I was too. Yeah stupid to know Um, I don't know I just had a blast with it and I was game I was like let's do it this sounds like fun I'm gonna do it." Yeah, my
2: wife would get along with you because I am definitely afraid of heights yeah when I have to go on an airplane I have to take something to settle my nerves yeah yeah I can only imagine
1: I'm not nearly as you know now that I'm a mom and old (laughs) I'm not nearly as brave as I was then um But it was fun. I flew in hot air balloons every year, and that was super fun. I have some had some pretty crazy situations where we basically almost crashed because the wind blew us right through a a forest. And I mean, we didn't get hurt, but it was potentially bad. Um, But that that air show covering the air show was uh, every year I would go out to either the Air Force Base or the um, Dayton International Airport, wherever it was being hosted that year. And for 10 days, I just played for 10 days. I just had a blast. I flew in every different kind of plane. Plus there were, I was a single woman and there were a million handsome young pilots all around. (laughs) (laughs) So I was in my absolute glory. I had an absolute blast and it was just super fun for 10 days. Uh, yeah. Did any of
2: those handsome young pilots sing, you've lost that love and feeling by any chance?
1: <laughs> I'll never tell. A reporter never That's reveals his source is.
0: And that wraps up that story, Brian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: But uh, Tracy, we got a little segment here uh, on the show. It's called the two-minute drill. Okay. So what I do here is I ask you a whole bunch of random horror questions, and you just got to give me the best Tracy Savage. Oh, now, I'm going
1: to fail like you don't even know. Yeah, I mean there's you no know, gonna...
0: right or wrong. There's no, it's it's the best your best answer. And uh well nobody seemed to complete it in two minutes yet. You might you might take it home. And if you do, Brian, what, what does she get today? <laughs> well, we can donate to
1: your donate favorite to charity. charity yeah. There you go. Yes we go. And right even there. if you
2: don't win, we'll still donate to your favorite yeah. charity. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. All right. So in three, two, one, go. Favorite horror
0: icon. Oh, Jason. Favorite slasher? Jason. Weapon of choice. Jason. <laughs> to remake or not to remake. Yeah,
1: remake. There's new generations every year.
0: Dark alley in New York City. Who do you want to have your
1: back? Oh boy. Um oh, gosh, my I think my golden doodle dog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Best lying right here, by the way. Oh, we got to see it before we do it. Best best
1: horror personality. Um, well, I mean, I'm so biased, but it has to be Jason. <laughs> 80s or 90s horror? Movie? The music in the 80s was way better. Disco 8 uh, horror is the best. Yeah, 80s sure. Favorite psychological horror? Movie? Oh wow, Silence of the Lambs. Pretty favorite horror movie for? Um, oh, there's so many, um, so, um, you can get on top of me or I can, <laughs> there's that one. There's, hey, the band's on fire. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about best horror voice? Universal monster of choice. Um, well, the psychological ones are what make me most scared. Um, I-, I know exactly the answer to this. First horror film I ever saw, Night of the Living Dead. And my older brother took me to see it when I was probably six years old. I was way too young to be seen at work. Scared the heck out of me for days. We out of 10. That's no, <laughs> I didn't get very far. You can, you can finish here, but you're... you're yeah. Surprised. Anyway, so those zombies, you know, that are coming up to the... Oh, my God, they scared the heck of it.
0: 1968, right? I think that's Yeah. About right? Yeah. 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 Well, we had, we had a few more questions on the list, but uh, either way, I'm mean, actually a couple on there, just for the heck of it. Uh, so, who would you say is um, your final girl of
1: choice? Since, I hate to say it, but since I didn't watch, I wasn't into the horror genre, and then I made my movie and went off to college and pursued another totally different career, um, I'll have to say um, it was, my, my, my expertise and my exposure is pretty limited. So I'll say it was Dana Kimmel from Friday the 13th. All right, no, no
0: problem. And then I have, you said something about the '80s 80s music so I want to ask you what do you think is the best score or theme in a movie uh, in a horror film in a horror film
1: yeah yeah well <laughs> again I'm totally biased here and my my uh, experience is pretty limited but for my entire life since I made that movie I've had people come up to me Friday the 13th part 3 come up to me and go <laughs> and so that, that's iconic that's the bad
2: you can't dance to the Freddy theme you can't dance to the halloween theme but you can dance to the friday part three yes you can and i still
1: do every year totally (laughs) disco yeah i agree
0: and you know what this is not only for horror movies
1: but what is your junk food of choice when you're watching a flick oh my gosh well um i live in los angeles i'm a huge chips and salsa guacamole like I could just like I could go nonstop and uh, that. Like, yeah that's, that's it for me for sure. You know, what so is uh,
2: your charity that we can donate to?
1: Yeah. Um let me think. Um I'm gonna se- I'm gonna send you uh, a link. Um okay. it's a scholarship fund um for students. Since I'm a college professor, mm-hmm. um that to me, you know, for I teach uh, at a community college where a lot of these students are um First generation college kids, low income, uh, and it's, you know, they 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 have to work full time to pay for college. They're not privileged at all. And um any, you know, help that they can get uh would be amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank definitely. You. Please send send us yep. the link, Tracy. And you know, I wanted to ask you
0: something about that, like um teaching your students and and just advice in general. Like, what advice would you give somebody that wants to take that? next step into broadcast
1: journalism or um you know even being like a news anchor or something like that like yeah uh the first thing and this is what i teach them is to learn how to write you have to know how to write clearly concisely accurately you have to be meticulous with your facts which is why i gave you such a hard time brian in the beginning (laughs) Uh, because you you cannot It's your credibility and um, you have to absolutely make sure you spell everything correctly and you you have the right date and the right name. And, and so learning to write, even if you're going to go into television or radio, you have to write, you have to know how to write. So that's the first thing I teach. Um, and then uh, they my students go and work for the campus newspaper. I'm teaching a radio broadcasting class right now. They they host their own radio shows. And so getting that college experience is first and foremost, the most like super, super important, but interning, getting an internship out of real TV station. It worked for me. It's how I got my first job six weeks out of college. I interned at a TV station and I never would have gotten that job if I didn't get a chance to intern. And I tell students, if you do intern, don't just get behind the desk answering phones, get out there. You know, be be aggressive, and um, ask to go out into the field and cover stories, and hold the microphone and ask the questions, and that's what I did in in Michigan, and uh, I was able to come back to the newsroom with with tape that I could edit stories together. The editors helped me because I didn't know how to edit at that point, and put stories together that went on my resume reel, and that's I had a professionally shot and edited reel. Uh, as a college kid, and that is what l- helped me land my first job, because it looked, it was from a major market, Detroit's the top 10 market, and uh, I don't know if it still is, because the population has declined, but um, that back then it was, and so um, interning is really, really important. And then just don't give up, of course, and I know that sounds cliche, but don't take no for an answer, just keep plugging away, working hard, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Excellent.
2: Um... That's really, really good advice. So back in 2002, you started uh, getting in front of the camera again, you know, doing various TV movies or TV shows. More recently, you worked on 13 Fanboy, uh, yes. which was uh, create, written and directed by uh, Deborah Voorhees. And, you know, this lawsuit in the Friday 13th franchise is really bumming fans out. So it was kind of like a blessing to me that even though it's not a Friday 13th fan, I got to see my favorite alumni. Uh, so, what was it
1: like working, um, playing yourself in a movie? So fun. It was just <laughs> so fun. It was so awesome. And Deborah is amazing. She's really fantastic. She's a great person and smart. The way that she pulled that film together um, basically fel- uh, fan funded and offering opportunities for fans to be a part of the film was and I know that's not necessarily a new concept but she did it um in such an expert way mm-hmm. uh to make it happen and because of who she is people were happy to join to jump mm-hmm. on board and work with her because you believed in her and you and and she was you know a credible uh kind nice person so for me it was um I was I was thrilled. I I only worked. I was on location. um, Rio Doso up in um, New Mexico, for maybe four or five days. It wasn't a long shoot for me. I I, maybe even not that maybe three days. And I only had a couple of scenes. Um, But it was fun. I had such a good time. And I actually got to meet other you know, scream queens uh, that I didn't know because, as you know, I after I made the movie, I got out of the business, and I I, I really don't even do conventions. I've done two in my life. Oh, wait, um, just two? It, so this is yeah, like this is the yeah. third one. It may it, it makes sense. <laughs> Part three, just the third convention. Yeah, there doing? you go. Yeah, and it's not that I have anything against them. I've yeah. had so much fun doing them. I just was so busy working full time. Um, I didn't have the time. To to I you know take time off work and go and do it, um, and then I was raising my child, my son for the last seventeen years, and um, now I'm I'm I want to do a lot. I'm ready to do more, and I'm excited. I'm so excited to come and do your convention. Um, I can't wait. I do. Th- tell me about it. Is it going to be? Um, you're expecting a big turnout. What do we know? Well,
0: well what we know so far. I'm sorry to cut you over. Well, we know so far, as far as turnout goes, uh, we got over 100 general missions sold. We have, you know, a good amount of people coming to the dinner. Um, So it's looking, it's looking good, Tracy. It's looking good uh, so far. So, I mean, it's still early, you know, especially with COVID and everything. Yeah, I'm right expecting
2: now. a lot of people come in at the door to pay tickets. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like with CJ, when we had when we hosted CJ, it was a combination of the tickets online and at the door. But this is going to be a first for the town because the only uh, alumni to visit the town are, um, and I'm not talking about the camp, just the town itself, is Ari Lehman, Steve Dash, um, Robbie Morgan, and uh, CJ Graham. So everyone that's coming is a first for the town. So it's yeah. going to be a big draw, especially you since you're very rare in the community. Like if it wasn't for Stacy, I never would have gotten your autograph because you're so rare. So um, rare. <laughs> so uh, you're going to be a Grail signature for a lot of, a lot people. of people. You, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ron Sloan, uh, Carol Locatel, Ron Milky. Well, yeah, Ron Milky, um, Ron Milky, Bill Randolph, yeah yeah bill randolph so are this you getting is, um,
1: anybody else from my uh for,
2: for well yeah so the way it w- kind of worked out we wanted to do a part three like reunion itself yeah, yeah. yeah for like you know one day but it was just a lot of um you know scheduling conflicts and whatnot sure. Sure. so it kind of just turned into this two-day event you it's know? a two-day
0: friday event and, and yeah you know, and
2: but you know what it's sorry jimmy sorry my friend uh <laughs> it kind of makes sense to have you on saturday because your film takes place on a on saturday. saturday so technically. Yeah. yeah technically in friday 13th part three it happens the
0: day after part two which was on friday so it, it falls into play <laughs> Very good. Very but we good. were looking to try to have some other people from part three and then like, like brian said it was like scheduling issues and uh you know i know deborah had reached out to me and we decided you know what let's make this a thing just a whole bunch of different friday alumni uh and screen you know uh certain movies and 13 fanboy is going to get screened on the <laughs> second day so what i was going to have you do over there uh sean richard's documentary uh we're gonna we're gonna show that and play that have like a q a session as well for his doc, and I think yeah, I
1: was in that doc. Yep. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and, that, and that was so a long you time
0: him, ago. Yeah, yeah, you and him are going to be uh answering some questions. That's uh, great. That's
1: great. That he's a great guy. He's a He great is. Guy. Uh, I yeah, talked so. to
2: him, I met him through a, another friend in the community, and I had you know done some uh work. I edited some videos for Sean, and we just have this new friendship. And I'm actually working on him with a, a project that he's making um for his dad who was a vietnam vet who Uh-oh. suffered a really uh bad injury but survived oh, so wow. Um, wow. it's gonna be a great weekend yeah. you know we got a lot of great vendors we have awesome alumni and we have the blairstown diner food so yeah.
1: so is it um am i going to be inside or outside
2: just for- oh, no, it's an outside event
1: outside yeah. so i just I'm- gotta and is it cold there in may oh i would yeah, say it's
0: warm it's, warmer. Like it's, it's makes, only it, about it depends it's 30, 30 degrees weather. tracy that's it, just 30 degrees yeah. it's not that <laughs> i cold. would just, I, it could be anywhere from
2: 65 to 80 degrees maybe a little I warmer do. you know but I as do. it gets closer
0: um you know i'll keep checking the weather and have Jimmy
2: <laughs> update, yeah we'll have some canopies
0: yeah. out there covering you from yeah. the sun and god forbid it rains we're going to close it off on three sides for you guys Perfect. and uh, make Perfect. sure you know you're good and diners right there if you need some downtime. You know, we're trying to we're trying to get you guys separate sections like we don't have a green room, but maybe we can have a, a sunroom. I don't know. Uh, or Something like that. Outside. That's all right.
1: That's all yeah. right. I'm not a I'm not a high maintenance uh, celebrity <laughs> at all. So
2: um, the other activities, like we're, we have a lot of great vendors. We actually have our good friend Chris Rowan, who owns Buffalo Bill's house from Silence of the Lambs. Uh-huh. He basically turned it into an Airbnb slash museum. So he's a big oh. supporter of ours. So he's coming yeah. out again. Nice. Um and then I'm renewing wedding vows in Jason attire. Yeah. Yeah. So I am I am ordained How Yeah.
1: Are you doing um wait? So for somebody else, like you're you're presiding. So,
2: yeah. So if anyone wants to renew their vows on the 13th or 14th, uh they just uh sign up for the tickets and I will do their vows. I'm is gonna this have a a thing? A, it is a thing. It's well it's a it's a <laughs> new thing for me, but you would be surprised. Like I have been asked. To do engagement photos, uh, wedding photos, actually a annual family photos. And Jason, <laughs> I killed the dad, and you know I, I replaced <laughs> him in the family photo. I love it. See, who
1: knew? Who would have known? Forty yeah. years ago. Forty years, 40 Tracy. Years ago, <laughs> and it's still 40. and it's still this strong. Who would have known that it would still be this strong? I think it's awesome. I think it's yeah. amazing so yeah. fun. so cool yeah. i'm so and
2: the great. the horror fans especially the friday fans they're the nicest bunch of people you'll ever meet i've made a lot of friends and now i considered family in the horror community
1: yeah no i totally agree uh, i mean i like i said i've done i think two conventions um i did one in new jersey monster uh,
2: mania maybe
1: yeah yeah, I think so. Yeah. And my brother came with me. He's a child actor. He was in Salem's Lot. Yes.
2: Um, yeah. Great. And, great. And
1: flight. we had we had such a blast. And I met so many like really wonderful, cool, fun people. Um, and and I, I was always amazed that these by the, the passion that people have for the horror genre. And they would these kids or adults, older adults would tell me the stories of, you know, growing up, maybe um, they're they only, you know, divorced family, and they'd, they'd spend the weekends with their moms going to see horror films, or maybe their uncle, or their grandparents or somebody that was like a special thing that they did growing up, Seeing horror films, and it's a part of their childhood. And, and it and it, it means something to them, because it was it was their childhood. And when I hear those, it made me that made me totally understand the the love for the genre because it it's it's you know it was part of growing up for so many people that they watch these films and the first time i was it was i think at that convention pretty sure it was that i met um george romero Mm. Romero. yeah yeah, it was he died like a couple years later or maybe a year later but i met him and i was absolutely struck like oh my gosh when i was six years old i i went to see night of the living dead and my brother took me to it and i'll never forget it and it scared the heck out of me for years and years and years and i I talk about it to this day all these years later the most scariest movie i've ever seen in my life and and uh it was a you know part of my childhood like and so i was so excited to meet him i got my photo taken with him (laughs) And, and it made me really understand and appreciate what the fan whole experience is and why the fans are as passionate about the genre and excited to meet, you know, people that were part of their childhood i think that's it 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 helped me to get to get my
2: childhood behind me this is all my friday 13th alumni autographs
1: i have them on this
2: wall over here you're across from me did you grow up watching all these movies friday the yeah the original friday 13th was my uh introduction into the horror yeah um i was probably gosh four or five wow and nothing ever scared me uh except for at a young age freddy krueger you know yeah. but but the fact that um the original was filmed three hours from where i live that's what i why i really love the franchise because jason's a jersey boy
1: I uh, see.
2: yeah yeah,
0: yeah. And, and you know what it was like i think about it too you know you brought up that uh fact uh, tracy you know we we think about these films and we're passionate about them because they're part of us they're part of you know, growing up. And that's like, even when last year we hosted CJ over there for me, part six, Friday, 13th was the first one that I've seen. Cause my parents didn't want me watching horror films when I was younger. And I remember going to my aunt's house and I would go to Blockbuster or like a local store with am Like, you know, I got to rent one of these movies. She just let me rent whatever I wanted. And it was part six that I seen, you know, that was, that was really what put me into the, into the horror genre. So uh, got me hooks and so seeing CJ out there in person. And this is the guy, it was like, you know, I had to maintain professionalism at the same time. I wanted to see, you know, I need an autograph. Or something like that. So it was, yeah. it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and he's a great guy.
2: Just very, well, I think CJ is putting a restraining order up against Joe. So. <laughs> me? No, I mean,
0: I should put one. <laughs> no, against actually, no, it's,
2: it's Tom, Tom Matthews. Tom I think Matthews. Yeah.
0: Tom Matthews. <laughs> I, I got to tell you this quickly. Um, Tom Matthews, Tracy, he thinks I'm absolutely insane. I had to clarify that I I'm not. Uh, but I ran up to him to j- just do a promotional video because that's my my whole shtick over here. I do like little yeah. hype videos and I was trying to promote CJ. So I ran over to his table during uh, a convention, uh, Living Dead weekend, Living Dead, out uh, there in Monroeville, PA. And I was like, Tom, I got this whole thing. He's like, whoa, you know, where are you coming from, man? I said, look, Jason's alive. So we recorded this. At first, he told me afterwards, he's like, honestly, I thought you would just a lunatic. (laughs) And then I had to verify with CJ that this was going down. And he's like, all right, that's when I said we can do this promo. But it was just funny how, you know, I guess for me, I was just excited about it. But Tom, away.
1: one of my (laughs) editors at NBC, the person who um, wrote, produced and directed the Bone Garden um, back in Baltimore and and Pennsylvania uh, was a news editor here in Los Angeles before he moved back there with his family or with his wife and then had his family back there. And, um, he was sort of like you, you know, I would come in from covering a story and he'd be there and he would just, he'd know all the dialog he you'd know all the lines. And he was, I was like, okay, I don't think I want to be alone in this room with this guy. (laughs) Like he's crazy. He's insane. But he ended up being like one of my dearest friends and an awesome person. And, and that's, you know, horror fans are really awesome people they're just great and passionate and love it and are fun and um i I have a huge appreciation for the for the fans i'm not a huge fan myself but um but i have an appreciation for those who are fans
0: and well we appreciate you tracy and i gotta ask this final question to you what advice would tracy savage 2022 give tracy savage 1982
1: oh boy um maybe um don't be so serious because i was pretty serious i was pretty um i was focused and determined and serious and and which was a good thing those all those things helped me but um but maybe just relax a little bit and know that it's all going to work out which is pretty cool. Nice. All right,
0: Tracy Savage folks, please plug anything that you have going on, Tracy. Uh, any <laughs> social media. I know you got a lot of other things not filming, right? You're not filming anything right now, are you? Oh no. Okay.
1: No, but, no, but I'll I'll plug me. Um, plug you. I... <laughs> anything you got going on. <laughs> I I I'm available for conventions um and for um uh, small horror films. Um, I'm, I'm at a point in my career now where I can do that and I, I enjoy it so much. So, um, I'm here. (laughs) Where can they find you or reach out to you on social media? Um, so I have a, um, a a Facebook site for my Debbie character. I think it's Tracy Debbie Savage, Mm -hmm. uh, at face on Facebook. And that's probably the best way for people to reach out for me all right tracy i want to thank you once again for taking the time
0: for us uh, we can't wait to see you in may friday yeah. 13th weekend it's gonna be a good time out there uh i will make sure that i have i believe you told me what your favorite snack would you like guacamole and chips i'll make sure <laughs> yeah. that we more okay. that down over there there's oh nothing my going on fire like you said nothing good except for uh the convention itself uh, i guess metaphorically speaking because we're gonna light it up in blairstown May 13th and 14th. Tracy Savage, folks, part three. Go watch it right now. I know she's one of your favorites. She's one of ours. Don't thank you so much for taking boy. the time. 13. Fa- oh, we can't get it, it on There's Amazon. A boy over there on
1: Amazon. You people. guys are great. I can't wait. Thank you so much for inviting me. letting me be here today and for inviting me in May. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we are, too. And thank
0: you all not only for tuning in, but thank you for celebrating horror. Not only in October, but 365 we're gonna see it next week